if you haven't been with us in the past, we spent several months um, really walking slowly through this book of Ephesians. It's a book that God wrote through the Apostle Paul to a group of Gentile believers, Gentile meaning non-Jew, which really is, is very applicable to all of us. And he wrote to them about what God had done for them through Jesus Christ. Incredible things. And because of what God has done, how they were now to live. And so if I were to summarize all that we cover in those first a chapter and a half of, of Ephesians is two words. These two words, I think, summarize the message of Ephesians, in Christ. Paul keeps referencing their relationship to God as being in Christ, which is a little bit different than we talk about. We talk about making Christ part of your life, Christ in me, Christ coming into my heart. But, but the Bible talks much more of the other way, that we are in Christ, that, that he's like this, this beautiful, perfect thing, and we're inside of Jesus. And it's so intimate that what, what happened to Jesus is applied to us. For example, it says that when Christ died, we died with him. When Christ was raised, it was like we were raised with him. When Christ ascended to heaven, it's like we were seated in heaven with him. Jesus is a child of God, so are we. And so the benefits of what Christ experienced pour into our lives. And so God wants us to know what he's done for us through Jesus Christ. Now, we're gonna, we ended last, our last message right after Thanksgiving with Ephesians 2.10, where it says that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. We are his artistic expressions. That word workmanship is a Greek word. If you were here, you, you heard it. Poema, from which we get the word poem. We are God's artistic expression, almost like a sculptor, almost like a, God's the artist made you and made me into something very beautiful and unique, unique skills, unique passions, because God wants to display his glory and spread his love through us in a very unique way. And so it just challenges us to discover what those gifts are and to develop them to the best that we can so that God can be seen through us. And that's where Paul leaves off as he comes to this next section of Scripture, Ephesians chapter 2, starting with verse 11. So I'm going to read that. If you've got a Bible, you can follow along. If you have your app on the phone, you can follow on there too. It says this, Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. He starts off with the word therefore. And, and anytime in scripture when you see therefore, you have to ask yourself, what's it there for? What's he referring to? And he's connecting it to something in the past. He just got done saying how we are God's workmanship. But then he says, but therefore, remember where you used to be. Remember your lives before Christ. How, how much of a wreck you were. He says that, but he's going to go on to say what Christ has done for us, and that Christ is our peacemaker. That Christ is our, our peacemaker. See, I was reading before Christmas of a phenomenon that's very prevalent in our culture. Uh, it's called family estrangement. It's when an individual within a family refuses to have contact with another member of the family. And it may be like a, a son or daughter who's drifted away moved away and won't answer phone calls, won't come to holiday events. It might be a parent 
who you never hear from. Maybe there's been a divorce and dad never talks to anybody anymore or mom doesn't. Or, or maybe it's an in-law that I just refuse to communicate with that person. I refuse to go to any event with that person because of something that's happened in the past that was negative. And so these walls go up, these walls of separation. And as I thought about this and the, and the prevalence of it in our culture, I realized in our wedding with Julie and myself, in both of our kids' weddings, there was a parent that was not included in the invitations to those weddings because of family estrangement, because they had disconnected themselves to such a degree that we felt, well, we're not going to invite them to the wedding. They've not even been a part of our lives. And, and that's the sad part of the reality of the human condition. Many of you have family members like that. I see it at, at funerals sometimes where somebody just won't show up, not even for a death. Because of estrangement. But Jesus came to bring peace, to bring reconciliation. And most of the time, it's going to take a miracle like that, like Jesus Christ working in us to restore relationships. So the first thing he tells these Ephesians is remember where you came from. Remember where you came from. There's an important reason for that. Uh, A few years ago, a gentleman in our church, one of our elders, Tom Downing, and I went to Wisconsin to go watch a Green Bay Packers-Minnesota Vikings game. If you guys remember, there was a big dude from Fountain Fort Carson named Phil Lodeholt, played for the Minnesota Vikings. Tom knows that guy. He says, I want to go see Phil play. I says, well, let's, let's go to Lambeau Field. When they play the Packers, we can kind of kill two birds with one stone. Historic Lambeau Field. You got to go there sometime if you're a football fan. And so we got there a couple days early, had a few hundred miles between us and O'Hare Airport and a, and a couple days to kill. So we swung by my hometown, little Milton, Wisconsin, where I grew up. When I was there, a ton of 5,000 plus. I think it's about seven, 8,000 now. And we met my mom on Friday night at the bowling alley for a fish fry. Now, some of you may not identify with this, but in many cultures in the Midwest, Friday night is fish fry. You know, every mom and pop restaurant, every bowling alley has fish fry on Friday. I think it's some of the, how the Catholic uh, environment there, but we have fish fry. And so we got to sit there in the bowling alley having fish with my mom. And the next morning, we stopped by my mom's house to say goodbye, and Tom got to see where I grew up. Now, when I was a kid, the house looked really big. It's not so big. It's tiny. And we had six people growing up in that house and one little bathroom that was smaller than, a, than one of our prayer rooms out here. I mean, you could not get two people in the bathroom. It, you could touch the toilet, be in front of the sink, and touch the, the tub right there. And that, and that was it. You could not have two people. A thing of six people sharing one tiny little bathroom like that. And I, and I went back and, wow, I grew up here in this place. It's so humble. I didn't think at the time, but very humble beginnings. And so uh, we went up and watched the football game, and Lambeau Field is a fantastic place to watch a football game. We got the frozen tundra experience. It was, it was in the teens. It was breezy. I had five layers of clothes on. I was frozen to the bone. And the game ended in overtime with a tie. You know, you know what's really weird? When you leave a stadium and there's a tie, you don't know whether to cheer or boo or do anything. It's like, we didn't win, so we can't cheer, but we didn't lose. Let's just all go home and get warm. That was kind of the decision. So anytime that, that we reflect on that trip, you know what Tom remembers? I remember Lambeau Field and freezing up there. He remembers fish fry on Friday night. He remembers the little bathroom in my house where I grew up. He's even, he's even told me sometimes, he said, when you're talking about your home today, I visualize it because I've been there. And see, sometimes it's important to go back where you've been, to remember where you've come from. It's very important. So Paul's reminding them uh, of where they've come from. And he says, remember that at one time you were 
you are of the uncircumcision. Now, circumcision was a Jewish ritual that God established through his, um, his faithful servant, Abraham, that, that for the males to be circumcised at a young age, it was an identifying mark of that people. Not only that, but they, had, they had eventually had dietary restrictions. They had clothing restrictions. They had a lot of other things that made them different from other people. And it was to tell you, you guys are different. You guys are different than everybody else. In a sense, you're cut off from everybody else. You're to be my people. But here's the problem. The Jews thought that being different meant we are superior. We're not just different. We're better. We're the circumcision. You're the uncircumcision. We have the covenants of God. You don't. God's on our side. He's not on your side. And see, God had chosen the Israelites to be his agent to communicate his message and spread his love to the world. And yet they turned it around and said, no, no, it's ours to hoard to ourselves. God loves us and only us, and you guys are uncircumcised, and, and he looks down on you. And so when David was fighting Goliath, you might remember, he called Goliath an uncircumcised Philistine, meaning you're outside of us. And this attitude was so prevalent for the Jews over hundreds of years that among the Jews and Gentiles, that the Jewish people would refer to Gentiles as dogs. They would say that Gentiles were God's fuel for hell. They, they, they taught that if you came across a Gentile woman in labor and she needed assistance, you were not to help her because in so doing, you're bringing another despicable Gentile into the world. They, they taught that, that if... Your son or daughter, as a Jew, married a Gentile, you were to have a funeral for them and disconnect them from your family. So, so think of this, this environment of, of hostility between Jews and Gentiles, and I'm sure it went both ways. So that, that Paul says, remember when you were on the outside looking in? You're like kids at the playground, your hands you know, clinging to the chain link fence, saying, saying, we'd like what you guys have, but we can't because the door is closed. He says, remember when you were there? Remember when you were on the outside? That's where you used to be. And that attitude has permeated our culture. See, the the Bible says that sin alienates us from one another. It not only breaks up nations, breaks up families. I mean, we we find that all over our culture. I mean, go back through history. The the Greeks would, would boast about, we're Greeks and you guys are barbarians. Barbarian comes from a, this, this, these words, meaning your languages sound like bar, bar, bar. It sounds like a bunch of babble. You're barbarians. We're better than you. You come less than 100 years ago in Europe when Hitler taught that we are the master race and there are some that are disposable. I mean, even today, we, we find walls that come up to say we're better than you. I can't believe how many families have been divided by political arguments. Where one says, we're right and you're wrong. And because we're right and you're wrong, you've taken the other side, we no longer have contact with you. I've seen people alienate others from Facebook because of their political positions. Walls have come up in our culture. And it's not just in culture, it's even among Christians. There are churches that actually teach, we're better than that other church. If you belong to our denomination, you're the right one. But they're the wrong one. They use the wrong version of the Bible. They do things wrong. They believe some things that are really bad. There was a, years ago, there was a church just down the hill from us. There was a young, and by the way, that, it was a church of Christ, which is historically connected to us. A lot of similarities, actually, in our history. Yet there was a young family with kids who wanted to find a children's program to get their children plugged in, and they were told by some, some people in their church, 
you can go check out some other churches, but don't go to Pikes Peak Christian Church. They're bad. So they went to other churches, and uh, they just didn't find a connection with their kids' program. So they said, you know what? I know we're not supposed to go there, but we're going to visit Pikes Peak. They came. Kids liked the program, and they stayed until they moved to California a few years ago. But some of you may have grown up in a church that actually felt like we're the, we're the better Christians. And I, and I get sometimes fearful of Americans sometimes thinking, we're Americans. We're better than every other country on this earth. We're not. We're blessed, and we're different, but we're not better. And so Paul's recognizing the fact that sin leads to alienation from others, and it also separates us from God. He said, remember at the time you were separate from Christ, without God and without hope in this world? That's where you used to be. Can you imagine living without hope? No, no opportunity ever to be saved, ever to be right with God, ever to be included among God's people. He said, that's where you used to be. I mean, think about it. Without hope, you become suicidal. If I don't have hope, some little bit of light at the end of the tunnel, if I don't have some promise to hold on to that things could get better, how do you get through the bad news from the doctor? How do you get through the divorce? How do you get through uh, getting fired from your job? How do you get through something that's just so tragic in your life? You say, can it get any worse? But because of our faith, we say, but God gives you hope. But he says, remember, at one time you didn't have that. See, remembering where you came from does a few things for you. Number one, it keeps you humble. It keeps you humble because it wasn't me that decided I was going to get out of my condition. It wasn't me that, that said, you know, one day I want to move to Colorado, be a pastor in a large church and, and have a nice house and, and, and a comfortable job, a job that I like and all this. I never planned that. I just look back and say, God opened up door after door after door to guide me from where I was. And I go back sometimes to my hometown. I look at people who are still there, and they're not bad. They're just different. But people who... Go to Friday night fish fry in the bar on the other nights and go bowling. And, and life just seems to be kind of routine. I said, I could be back there just like that. Because that's where I used to be. But I'm not there anymore. It doesn't make me feel superior. But here's what it does for me. The second thing, it makes me compassionate. It makes me compassionate. I don't feel better. I feel responsible. I, I feel a burden that makes me want to pray for those that don't know Christ. <laughs> I don't look at unchurched people and go, ha, ah, glad I'm not them. No, I, I, I say, I wish they knew Christ. How happy they would be if they knew Jesus. Don't you have people in your life that you long, you long that they would know Jesus? You know that if they knew Jesus like you do, their whole life would turn around. And so it gives you this burden that you want to share with them, you want to pray for them, you want to love on them until that day when they find Jesus. And then the other thing it does for you is that it gives you hope. Because if God has has taken you from this place where you used to be to where you are now, how much more will he do for you? Here, here's one of the things I find in Scripture. The writers will tell you, God has done this incredibly cosmic thing for you by sending his son to die on a cross. He did the greatest thing possible for you. If he did that for you, everything else is small potatoes. So here's an example. In uh, Romans chapter 12, it's not chapter 8 as you know, it's actually chapter chapter 12. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, oh no, it is chapter 8. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? He's saying if God went to this incredibly great length to send his one and only son to die for you, whatever it is you're praying for has to be far less than that. 
Whatever it is you're wanting God to do in your life has to be less than that. And if God was willing to do this for you, don't you think he could handle this? Think about it this way. If you were an adopted child and your parents spent $30,000 to pay for the rights to be able to get you from an orphanage halfway around the world, spent a week of their time to go over there to find you, to, to claim you, to bring you back into their household, to love you through all the difficulties of adjustment and bring you up. When you're a teenager or a college student, start to wonder, I wonder if my parents really love me. Go back and think, to what length did they go to love you at the beginning? They went halfway around the world for you. They spent a fortune for you. Don't question their love. They've already displayed it to this much. You may not feel it, but it's there. They do love you. When you think of God has sent his son for you, whatever else it is you need in your life, God can handle that. So he's reminding them God's already done incredible things for you because I think sometimes, especially when you've been a Christian for a long time, you get some news that rocks your world or you go through a very traumatic experience and you start to ask, I don't know how, and then you fill in the blank. I don't know how I'm going to deal with this. I don't know how I can make it without her. I don't know how I can live without this. And whenever you start saying, I don't know how, that's the time to lean into God and say, but God has already proven it's going to be okay. He'll get me through this. Remember where you come from because God can do even more. And then he goes on in the second part. We'll pick it up in in verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near through the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. He moves from remembering the past to rejoicing in what Christ has done in the present. He says, that's where you were, but now in Christ, you who are far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. He's not speaking geographically. He's speaking spiritually. Gentiles were considered far off. And you remember in Acts chapter 2 where Peter gets up and he tells people, he said, if you repent and are baptized, he said, you'll receive forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. And he tells his Jewish audience, this promise is for you, for your kids. If your kids grow up, this promise is for them too. And for those who are far off, for the Gentiles, for those who've been on the outside looking in, it's for them too. God loves all people. Remember that at Christmas. Good news of great joy for who? All the people. All the people. Every race. Every nationality. Jew and Gentile. Everyone. God loves them all. And, and, the, and the way that, that the, those who are far are brought near is through the breaking down of this wall of hostility that stood between the Jews and the Gentile, between actually mankind and God as well. There have been these dividing walls. And the great picture of that is the temple. Now, we have up here a picture of the temple or a drawing of it. And in the middle is the actual temple where the sacrifices were offered. And in that were, were various rooms. There was the Holy of Holies that only a high priest could go in once a year. There was the holy place that the priests went in. There was the courtroom of, the, of Israel that only the men could go in. There was the courtroom of the, of the women 
or the courtyard of the, of the women, where the women could go. See, they're all separated. But then on the outside, look at that, court of Gentiles. And actually, it was down some steps. So they actually had, if you go down, now here's the court of the Gentiles. So, so we're up here worshiping at the temple, and you guys can come, but don't you go any further than this, because this is where you guys get to stay. And when it, wherever there was an entry point into the temple, there'd be a sign. And, and archaeologists have actually found two of these signs uh, etched in stone. Here's, here's what one of those signs found um, in 1871 said. No foreigner may enter within the barrier and enclosure around the temple. Anyone who is caught doing so will have himself to blame for his ensuing death. That's, that's not the welcome mat to the Gentiles. It's you, you, better, you guys better keep yourselves out. I mean, they called them the dogs. Dogs don't come up here. They're not allowed in here. You guys are welcome. Come on. Just stop right here. That's as close as you're going to get. Now, we, we don't live in a place like that. Maybe we don't understand that, that kind of um, imagery. We don't live in the temple. But I know a place in our lives where we see that out, played out. It's in an airplane. Holy of Holies is the cockpit. You, you, you've got the pilots. The pilots are directing everything right up there. And you've got business class. And you've got coach or economy class or some called cattle class. And, and you know, I've never been in first class. I've never bought their, or business class. It's so expensive. But every time I get on a plane, I walk right through it. And I look at those nice wide seats and I go, oh, that looks so comfortable. <laughs> and they're reading their magazines and newspapers. And they've got the glass of wine in their hand. And, and they get to watch all of us just slow lice, you know, <laughs> dragging our luggage. Boom, excuse me, sir. Excuse me, sir. And, you know, lugging stuff through to get to the back. And it's almost like they're going, oh, I can't believe this. I can't, can't believe the kind of people on this plane. And so, you know, and it's very different. When you're up front, not only have wide seats, they recline better. They, they recline further. They get meals on actual plates with china and real glasses. You know, we get, we get a little bag of peanuts that you're trying to, uh, trying to get open and, poof, you know. Or, or you get something like a, like, like a cup of water that's sealed. And you're trying to peel that top off of the water. You know, they got, they, I have another glass of wine. Thank you. And right before the plane takes off, the, the flight attendant stands right at the dividing line between the two, and she smiles and goes like that, <laughs> closes the curtain. And she's not closing the curtain to say, we don't want the people up front to come back. She's saying, you guys stay out, okay? You don't come up here. Those people are different than you. And, you know, sometimes you're on a plane, and the lines in back at the bathrooms get busy, and so people will walk, you know, they'll go up to the front, and, and she goes, uh-uh. You go, ugh. <laughs> they go all the way to the back because they're not welcome. It's, that's, that's, the, that's for the Jews. You guys are Gentiles. Your bathrooms are back there. And so that's the way it felt. That's the way it felt for them. But, it, but he says the, the wall was broken down. And, and, and literally... When Jesus died on the cross, it says this veil at the, at, in the temple was torn. This veil was about six inches thick. Josephus says that horses could not tear it apart. And yet it was torn from top to bottom as if heavenly hands took it and went, opening up the, 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 the wall between the Holy of Holies and the rest. Really just saying God is approachable now. But not only that, that veil, when the temple was destroyed... 
It was, it was actually reminiscent of the fact that God has broken down the walls between Jew and Gentile, male and female. All these walls now are coming down through Christ. They've been broken down. See, that it's all possible. This access is all possible. This reconciliation is all possible through the cross. Because the cross is powerful. It has, it has the power to rescue. It has the power to, pe- to reach people who are far away and pull them near. There's something powerful about the message of the cross. I mean, I don't know about you, but I never tire of hearing that message. It always pulls at my heart, the fact that God would send his son to die for me. And there's something magnetic about it that Jesus said of the cross in John um, 8.32. Or excuse, this is where it's 12.32. Jesus says in John 12.32, And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. I'm going to draw people. They're going to they're look and say, I can't believe God did that for me. And be drawn. The cross has power to save. The cross has power to destroy that which stood between us and God, that which stands between us and other people. The dividing wall of hostility says it has been torn down through the cross. All the regulations, all the rituals, all the ordinances that Jewish people did, said you don't have to do those to find acceptance with God. Even the moral law of saying, I've got to do this to prove myself worthy, it's over. Christ has accepted you because Jesus suffered for your sins. Come in now. The, 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 the playing field is, is level. And you know when walls come down, there's such a joy. I, th- I think of in 1989 when the Berlin Wall came down and people from the east finally got to come over to the west and the people on the west were waiting for them with sometimes bouquets of flour, bottles of wine to celebrate reconciliation of Berlin. If you've never seen the movie Hidden Figures, man, what a powerful movie. It's about three women, uh, African-American women, who are very significant in our NASA um, projects um, years ago. And in this movie, you see the racism that's so prevalent. I mean, the, one of the ladies works in a, at a desk, and she's got to go outside, down the road, and, and into another building to use a bathroom that's for colored people. And there's a moment in that movie that's so powerful. Kevin Costner is, is her boss, and he takes something like a crowbar... And he starts hitting at the sign over the bathroom, and he's drawn an audience of people just watching, saying, what is this guy doing? He's, just, he's, he's angry, and he's bang, bang, and finally this sign falls down, flings it, says, okay, we only have bathrooms for everybody. You find one the closest to your desk. And then as he walks away, he says, here at Nassau, we all pee the same color. I know that's not a real churchy thing to say. <laughs> but the fact is, when, when you think of what separates people and what causes racism, there is so much more in common that we have with other people than what's different. We're all sinners in need of grace. Jew and Gentile both come into the kingdom of God the same way, through Jesus Christ. Why? Because they're both sinners. Jesus has broken down the hostility of the wall that, that, that was hostile against us. And then the cross has a power to reconcile. He says he's made two become one. Two that become one. Uh, that's such a beautiful picture. We'll talk a little bit more about it next week. But, but Jesus is all about reconciliation. When Julie and I were in Israel, one of the things that disturbed me was here was a place where Jesus walked. Here's, here are the people that heard God's truth. And yet they've divided the old city into quadrants. 
There is the Jewish quarter and the Christian quarter and the Muslim quarter and the Armenian quarter, and they keep to themselves. They don't cross lines. These are our people, and you are your people, and we won't mix each other. You go to the wailing wall where people are praying, and the Jewish men are over here, and the Jewish women over here, and they don't mix. And I think, didn't Jesus come to destroy walls of separation, to bring us together as one? And yet the human condition, the sinfulness of ourselves causes us to isolate ourselves from one another. It's only through Christ that we find true reconciliation. Jesus came not only to preach peace, but it says he himself is our peace. And I don't know about what's going on in your life, but one of the greatest things you can ever experience is peace with God peace with others. It's only found through a supernatural work of Jesus Christ.